0: Good evening. We're grateful for your presence this evening, for another opportunity to be together. Had a really good crowd this morning. We're thankful for that. On the way home, Hannah and I were counting up. I think we had 12 or 15, 18 members of our own that were gone, traveling or ill or various things. So we had a really good crowd this morning, but we're thankful for those that have returned and others that may be visiting with us this evening. We're grateful for your presence and enjoy another time of study and fellowship together. If you've got your Bibles, you can be turning to the book of Acts, chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, and we'll begin there in just a moment. Again, we're thankful that you're here and look forward to visiting here in just a few moments as we finish in the fellowship that we have together this evening. When we come to Acts chapter 17, there's a few familiar passages. I told you this morning as we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3 that we would be looking at a chapter each today. Tonight we're going to look at Acts chapter 17, just as it was this morning with 2 Timothy chapter 3. There may be a part of that passage that you're more familiar with. When we got to the end of 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning, we talked about all Scripture is given by inspiration. The light kind of goes off and we say, I I remember that passage. I know that. I may not have been able to recall the exact spot off the top of my head, but but I know that passage. When it comes to Acts chapter 17, perhaps you're more familiar with about verse 10 or 11 there. If you've got your Bible open, as we read about those in Berea, it says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind. And search the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Perhaps you're more familiar with Acts chapter 17, towards the beginning, verses 1 through 9 or so, depending on the division in the Bible you may be using, the story of the assault on the house of Jason. We're going to come back to that in just a moment because it has a little bit to do with our lesson. But actually tonight, we want to talk about, beginning in about verse 16. When we come to verse 16, Paul is in the midst of of his second missionary journey. I don't always know exactly how the screens are going to come out, especially with the light and things, but you may not be able to make out this entire map, but that's okay. Try to put a little circle there around a little city by the name of Athens. When we come to Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16, we find Paul in the middle of his second missionary journey, and we find Paul angry. Depending on the version that you're looking at, verse 16 says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens... His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. It may say stirred, it may say provoked, but what we have on our hands here is Paul, a little upset. Now, one of the places that I looked in doing research or one of the commentaries and and studying for the lesson gave a number out there, I don't know how accurate it might be, but maybe it just is something that's said around that time. But it was said, possibly at that time, that there were around 10,000 inhabitants in Athens, and there were around 30,000 idols. So when you understand, when we read the words here, given by inspiration by the physician Luke of the Apostle Paul traveling into Athens, he is upset. He's bothered. Because as he comes here to Athens, he sees the whole city, or the city, wholly given to idolatry. That's three to one, not in the sense of people to idols, but in the sense of idols to people. Now, I have a whole series of lessons I've done before. I know you have no doubt heard other lessons before on idolatry, on our sense of idolatry. And what happens when we look at the Bible's definition or description of idolatry, and we hear about 30,000 little small statues or 30,000 little wood carvings. We think, oh, I don't have any of that in my life. Of course, when we really think about idolatry in our world today, we certainly have a problem with idols sometimes. But Paul comes here upon the city of Athens and he's upset. He's bothered because of what he sees all around him. The idolatry that is taking place here in this city. Now, we're about to, as we get down a little further, come to this place. And again, if you try to look it up on the internet, the best guess or the picture that you can find here of an area known as the Areopagus. The Areopagus. This is the place where Paul was, is going to be here in just a moment, as he begins one of his great sermons. Now, if you've got your bulletin in front of you, and maybe you're following along and making the outline, I, I went with the title, Paul's Great Sermon. I don't know that I would call it his greatest, well, that would be up for debate, we might could argue about which one of his speeches or sermons, if you will, is the greatest to read, but this is certainly a great lesson, a great sermon, if you will, that he's getting ready to get into here. And this is an outcropping of rocks outside of the city of Athens here, known as the Areopagus. When we talk about a little bit of background here, the place that we see is Athens. And you may have some words in your Bible there in verses 16, 17, on down a little bit later into verse 22 even, if you've got your Bible in front of you. Uh, When we talk about gods, little g gods, the multiplicity of gods, the idols that they would have, Uh, The Greeks and the Romans oftentimes, of course, had different gods, different names. Uh, And we talk about the god of war. When we looked at the history of the Roman gods, Mars was the Roman god of war. But when we talk about the Greeks, here being Athens Greek, Ares was the Greek god of war. So if you look in your Bible there, you may see around verse 22 that Paul stood in the midst of them at Mars Hill. That's what we call it sometimes, Mars Hill there. But you may see as well the word Areopagus, depending on, again, what version you're looking at. Verse 19 there mentions the word Areopagus. It might be better translated. It might be better called here Ares Hill, or Areopagus, as we think about uh, the Greek word for the God of war. You know, we're kind of mincing words you might say here. not necessarily a whole lot important to what we're going to talk about here in just a few moments with the Apostle Paul. But yet it's worth noting. Here that we are, we have come to the Areopagus. That's where Paul is going to be in just a few moments as he begins speaking in this great speech or this great sermon. Now if you have your Bible open and you look at verse 18 there of Acts chapter 17, it says in verse 17 that he disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. And in verse 18 we meet a couple of classes of people. First of all, it says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. We'll pause right there for just a moment because we're going to come back here in just a second. When we think about these philosophers that Paul was going to meet here, Athens was sort of you know a, a cultural hub, if you will, an educational hub, a place where people might go. We might call it a college town. So there's knowledge here to be found. People would go and come to this place to learn. And when we come to verse 18 here, we read about these philosophers. Now the Epicureans or the Epicurean philosophers that we see here are well known for being devoted to the sensual pleasure. The idea of something that makes us feel good is something that we should do. You see a word there at the end of the definition on the screen that may sound a little more familiar to us. The idea of being a hedonist or hedonism, pleasure pleasure is what the Epicureans were about at this time. That's what they were promoting, what they were discussing. But as well, we meet here a group of people called the Stoics, or the Stoic philosophers. They tried to avoid any show of emotion, and and never too high, never too low. And if you really think about it, this is kind of the idea that we promote as Christians. We're not necessarily putting forth these things as, as wholly sinful. Now, yes, I would tell you that if you live your life as we, what we understand about the Epicureans, the idea that pleasure reigns, what makes us feel good is what we should do. Yeah, I would say we're kind of treading in dangerous territory there. But the idea of the Stoics of never being too high or too low, kind of sounds like the Christian life. It kind of sounds like the way that we should be. We enjoy the mountaintops, but yet we find ourselves in the valleys. And that sometimes gets a little tough when we deal with that. And sometimes to kind of be middle of the road, unfazed there, might be a a better way to live sometimes. We can't always help that. We enjoy the mountaintop experiences. And sometimes we have to struggle through the valleys. But these are some of the knowledgeable, so-called knowledgeable people, if you will, that Paul is getting ready to encounter here. And as he is brought, if you look at verse 19... As they take him and bring him into the Areopagus, and they begin to ask him these things, he stands in the midst of them in verse 22 and begins speaking what we might call one of the great sermons. Again, we could debate it all day. Of course, we would put the words of Jesus probably first and foremost and rightfully so. But Paul begins to deliver this great sermon. The important part for us tonight is the things that Paul says here, the points that he raises in this sermon are just as applicable to us today as they were to those in Athens. This morning we talked about 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we made the point that what Paul was saying to Timothy there was important for us today. The same thing is true as we think about this sermon and some of the things that we can draw from it as he delivers it to those at the Areopagus. And what we want to do tonight, and a few moments here we have left together, is bring out a few of these points, a few of the things that we can see, not only from his sermon, but what from what takes place here in Acts chapter 17... And hopefully we can encourage ourselves with these thoughts this evening and as we begin to go through our week. Number one this evening, pure Christianity. If you're following along in the bulletin, pure Christianity seems strange and different to many religious people. Pure Christianity seems strange and different to many religious people. Now hold that word because we're going to come back to it in just a moment. But it seems strange to religious people. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 18, we read just a moment ago that these philosophers encounter him and what do they say? What will this babbler say? He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. You go on down to verse 20. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. Paul is preaching unto them something that sounds very strange to them. What was that? Well, as we said this morning, the Bible doesn't leave us wondering. At the end of verse 18, he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Jesus and the resurrection. That can seem strange to some people. The fact that Jesus would come to this earth, give His life, be buried and rise again triumphantly from the grave. But yes, There's something here that they think sounds kind of funny or kind of different. When we think about our world today, pure Christianity seems strange to those around us. You mean you go to services three times a week? Twice on Sunday, you show up at the same church building? What's wrong with you? You mean that you get dumped down into water? What does that have to do with anything? Pure Christianity sometimes seems strange. If you got your Bible, you might open, you might go back a page, even Acts chapter 16 and verses 20 and 21. As Paul and Silas here have come to Philippi, and we're about to again get to a very famous passage when we come to the Philippian jailer in a few moments. In verse 20, and actually all the way back in, up into verse 16, we read of the story or the account of Paul and Silas calling out this spirit, if you will, or healing this damsel certain damsel in verse 16 who was possessed with a spirit of divination and her masters of course are upset with paul and silas and in verse 20 they bring them to the magistrate saying these men being jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive neither to observe being romans now these things sound strange to them now we're being honest First and foremost, the thing that's strange to them is the idea that they've had their source of money cut off. By Paul and Silas doing this, they've cut off their income because they're not able to promote this young lady as a way to make money. So they're upset because their money's been cut off. But as well, they're putting forth this idea that there's some strange things that these guys are saying that we're not used to, that maybe sounds a little different to us. As well, from our Lesson, or excuse me, from our chapter just a moment ago. In Acts chapter 17, I told you we'd go back to the beginning in verse 6. One of my favorite passages is we think about what the New Testament church was doing with the assault on Jason's house when they find these folks and draw them out and bring them out. Those that are dragging them out would say unto the rulers of the city, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Turning the world upside down. Is that what we're known for today as Christians? Uh, Some of what we talked about in our lesson this morning, we mentioned in the adult class room that I'm a part of over here in our class. And this is kind of what we talked about a little bit. Is that really what we're known for? We're in the minority. We talked about that a few months ago or a month or so ago in a lesson. We are in the minority. But are we trying to turn the world upside down? Are we giving these strange things that that sound strange to people but yet actually is pure Christianity. When we think about the world around us, it can be said factually that error, if practiced long enough, makes the truth sound strange. Think about that for a moment. Error, if practiced long enough, can make the truth sound strange. There's so many people around us that would look at us and say, you mean that the idea of two men together on a television screen or a movie screen together is... Is not right? You mean that's, that's not something you're okay with? And the list can go on and on of the things that the world accepts. The things that Christians who are striving to partake in pure Christianity would call sinful. And that's strange to the people of the world. And it's important that we think about that when it comes to this idea of being purely Christians trying to be what the bible wants us to be. And Paul makes that point there as he begins as the discussion begins there at the Areopagus with these philosophers, and the same thing is true for us today. Number 2, being relig- religious, excuse me, being religious is not sufficient. Being religious is not sufficient. Now, we might include another word here sometimes that's used by people, but the idea of being sincere, being sincere you mean just, just to be sincere is not enough? Just to, to, just to kind of think it in, in my head is not enough? To not, be, not to be a good person might not be enough? Being religious is not sufficient sometimes. If you've got your Bible there in Acts chapter 17 still, looking at verse 22 and verse 23, Then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. Now, there's a big long word on the screen that I'm not even going to begin to try to pronounce. I looked it up again this afternoon and then decided I wasn't going to even attempt it. If you have your Bible there, and specifically the King James At the end of verse number 22, there's a phrase, too superstitious. That idea of too superstitious comes from the Greek word and the word, the translation here on the screen. Now, the idea behind the word that's on the screen here is that the word here is neutral. It's neutral. So to be too superstitious could be good or it could be bad. It's neutral. But when we look at the context here, what Paul is saying is Does it sound like it's something that's good or bad? If Paul were to say here, I think that you're too pious, or here as he says, you are too superstitious, sounds to me like he's kind of telling them something that maybe they could take as neutral, but he's kind of setting them up for what he's about to say to them in just a few moments. We know and understand that being religious is not sufficient. Being sincere is not simply enough. We we're reminded of the words of Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Not, not, I've forgotten you. Not something else, but I never knew you are the words of the Son of God to those on that day who would be found not doing the will of the Father. To be religious, to give lip service, and even as Jesus says there at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, to be doing some things, to be busy is not enough if I'm not doing the will of the Father. Being religious is not sufficient. Number three this evening. We are made in God's image and not God in our image. You've got your Bible open there to Acts chapter 17. Continuing on into verse 24, Paul continues, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not, and temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the, all the face of the earth. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. That they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from us. Far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. We are made in God's image, not God in our image. Many times we like to, we sometimes say, play God. We like to pretend that we're in charge. We like to pretend that we're the one that has made the decisions and the way that we should live. But we are made. In the image of God. And we should be thankful for that. As we think about the words of Paul here. It's something that's not made with hands. That's not worshipped with men's hands. As though God needed that. He is the creator. He did make us in his image. And we are thankful for that even this evening. Some would like to fashion God according to their likes. Not only do we like to play God sometimes. And make the rules ourselves. But then other times we would say, well, well, God might have said this or may have meant that. And People began to read into the Word of God their preconceived ideas or things that they've been told all their life. But yet we have to remember, even as Paul sort of, again, sets them up here, not necessarily in the bad way, but just begins to make the point and to be ready to drive the point home here in this great sermon about who God is how wonderful He is, how He is the Creator, how He has appointed all of these things, and how thankful we should be to Him that we are made in His image. It's a struggle sometimes when we want things to be our way. We look at children sometimes and we think, you know, you can't have it your way all the time. We're in charge. We're the adults. Yet sometimes we look at God and as children we treat Him the same way. We try to make Him what we want Him to be. Well, surely God would be okay with this or okay with that or okay with me doing this. It's a dangerous line to walk and we can be reminded tonight even from Paul's great sermon here that we are made in God's image. Number next here. We will all answer for our lives. We will all answer for our lives. Acts chapter 17, continuing on down into verse 30. And at the times of this ignorance, God winked at but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Remember here, Paul said it just a few moments ago or again, Luke records it for us. Paul's not preaching anything that strange to them even though they consider it to be strange. He's preaching Jesus. Jesus crucified and Jesus resurrected. And as he gives the point here, as we make in many of our own lessons towards the end, or as we'll do in just a moment, at the imitation as we sometimes call it there, at the end of the lesson, the idea that we will all answer for our lives. The passage that we're more familiar with from Paul is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. It's a fact of life. There are many things that we like to argue and discuss. Again, you don't have to turn on the news very hard, especially in the last week or so. Find lots of people that will tell you either side of an equation or an argument that will want to give you their opinion. They'll say that this, these aren't facts or these are facts or whatever you think is whatever you think, whatever I think is whatever I think. But some of the facts of life that we can agree upon, one of those is that we will all answer for our lives, for the things that we have done. It's the day of reckoning that will come. It's the day of judgment. And it's a test, a test that we are answering, a test that we are living out every single day with the words that we use, with the actions that we take, with the decisions that we make. And sometimes it's easy to get caught in our own rut, in our own life, and forget that. And may we not forget in the year 2018, just as Paul was reminding those here at the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17, that we will all answer for our lives. And may we be ready to answer in the right sense, in the good sense, that we have done the things that God has has told us to do, that we have been obedient to him, that we have done the will of the Father, even as we said just a few moments ago. And then finally this evening, the message will not always produce the same effect the message will not always produce the same effect. If you've got your Bible still open there and you look at the end of the chapter, verse 32, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, which was a point of discussion among some, some mocked. And others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. You see, I've heard several lessons over the book of Acts and since we've been attending here and visiting. I know Harris had one back in July. We've had others along the way. But all through these lessons, we have pointed out the different the different outcomes, the different reactions, the different effects, if you will, that takes place when the gospel has been preached. Even just a few weeks ago, as we talked about Stephen, we talked about Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 7. That in Acts chapter 2, they were pricked to their heart. They were cut to the heart. This same kind of idea, not only used in Acts chapter 2 there with those on the day of Pentecost, that they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? But even there again in Acts chapter 7, as Stephen has been preaching, and their heart is cut again in verse 54 of Acts chapter 7. And in that case, instead of asking what shall we do, or what can we do, or what more would you say about this, they gnash on him with their teeth. They stop their ears and they run around and they begin to kind of act mad, if you will, until they take him and they stone him, there's different effects. Here, we don't, we don't have to go between two different passages here in verses 32 through 34, we see it. There for ourselves, Paul sees it right there, that some mock, others said, hey, let's talk some more, or we'll come back, or we'd like to talk to you again. And even in verse 34, that there were some who believed. We need to be reminded of that. I don't, I don't know how often you have a chance to have to study the Bible with someone. It's not very often. Many times in our world today, many people are hesitant to have someone in and study. So, so maybe you don't get to do that all that often, and, and that's okay. We should be striving to have those types of studies, but, but sometimes they're few and far between. But we need to be reminded, the message will not always produce the same effect. Because every time that we have a rejoicing, and that maybe someone wants to be baptized... Maybe you have a, a study that goes stonewall, and that goes cold, and a person doesn't want to hear anymore. We could be reminded that even the apostles, even those in the Book of Acts, were facing that, and that's okay. And we need to keep trying along the way, even as Paul would continue to keep traveling and preaching. As we think about this great sermon tonight, there is indeed a God—the God that Paul preaches about here in Acts chapter 17—the God that is the great Creator, the God that is. The great creator of all things around us all the things that were there in acts chapter 17 that sent his son that may have winked at these times of ignorance but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent that's going to judge us by our deeds there is indeed a god and someday we must give an account of our lives to him the question as we conclude the lesson tonight is what is your response what is your response Will you mock as those did there, the resurrection or something else? Will you delay You say, well, I'll come back Wednesday or I'll come back next Sunday. I'll wait till another time to hear more on this matter. Or will you do even as those did in verse 34, believe and follow, believe and follow Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the son of God, God, the great creator that created all the things around us, the Lord of heaven and of earth. We're thankful tonight to God for all that He has done for us, for sending His Son. We're thankful to Jesus for shedding His blood, for making it possible that we could have and obey God's simple plan of salvation. Even as we talked about this morning, the simple steps that one must go to, including hearing the Word of God, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repenting of your sins, confessing that name of Jesus in front of this audience who is gathered here this evening, And being baptized for the remission of your sins so that the Lord would add you to His church, the body of believers. And even as we said this morning, not just here, even in this place, not even here, just in this building, but worldwide, the body of believers. We're thankful to God for that plan of salvation. Have you obeyed that plan of salvation? Are you gospel-obedient even this evening? Because it is the greatest commitment you can make. And if you're here this evening and you've not done that, we would gladly... Help you in that. We gladly study more with you in that. Or perhaps you've done that, but you've wandered away. There's sin in your life that separates you from God. You can repent and pray of that, confess those to God, and pray for forgiveness, and He will be faithful to do that so that you can walk in the light as He is in the light. Again, the good news is you don't have to leave with a care or a worry on your heart tonight. You can leave with the confidence, the hope of heaven, knowing that you stand right in the sight of God. But it's the question that each one of us must respond to. And tonight, whether you need to become a Christian or come back to him, or you need the prayers of this congregation, we gladly assist you now as we stand together and as we sing.